Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty, and tonight we have with us Green Bay's own Pete Vance. Hello, Pete. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. And I met Pete at uh, a local drag performance where you were Tammy Truck Stop, and it was a yes. comedy cabaret. And I was so blown away. I was so in love with your performances. Could you tell us a little bit about Tammy Truck Stop and what you do? That's a hard, and I'm sure I'll do it a bunch of times throughout this, where you're looking for one answer and I give you four. <laughs> Tammy Truck Stop to me is like this weird amalgamation of horror, comedy, and art, and where those three intersect. I like being funny. I like being scary and spooky, but I also like being really artistic. If you come to see a show of mine, generally I'm going to do something that'll fall into one of those categories. And I love mixing the two. So this is a horror podcast. I once competed in a pageant where my talent number was I told the story of the hobbling scene from the movie Misery while I was dressed up as Annie Wilkes, mm -hmm. but the whole thing was set to share music. Oh, wow. So like... <laughs> I guess Evil Daddy is a good thing. When I talk about inspirations, it's like one part Gigi Allen, one part Mimi from the Drew Carey show, one part Marilyn Manson, one part Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy. Oh, I love it. And I gotta <laughs> say, I've always like enjoyed drag, but it, it never like gripped me or spoke to me as much as I saw your acts. And I was like, yes. yes. Oh my God. You delighted our whole table, which is absolutely why I started stalking you after the show. And, uh, became friends with you online which is how you're here so it's Yay, so exciting and I'm, and I'm very excited to be here I will say one of my dreams is Tammy Truck Stop or even just Pete myself was to be featured on a horror podcast or a, a horror YouTube or anything related with that because th the intrinsic love of horror is so it's not even in my blood it's like in the middle of my marrow it's to the core <laughs> I, I'm a diehard horror nerd. I love it. I'm so glad we can have you. This is fantastic. Yeah. So I just got to ask, where did the name Tammy Truck Stop come from? How did it come to you? Um, originally, when I started, my first name ever was Victoria Westwood McQueen, which is like a combination of different fashion people. And then after like two times, I was like, that name's dumb and forgettable. So I went by Tammy Deathcore at the time because I do prefer to do heavy metal and rock music and stuff that's more untraditional in the drag scene. So it was Tammy Deathcore for the longest. And then at the time, she was my quote unquote drag mother, introduced me on stage and said that she had me in a back alley in some dirty Chevrolet next to a truck stop and everybody, <laughs> Tammy Deathcore. And when I heard her say the word truck stop and I put it together, Tammy Truck Stop. I, there's just something about that name that is, it's funny, it's campy, it's weird, it's stupid, it's, I don't know, it kind of encompasses everything. And honestly, Tammy, I just got from one of my favorite drag queens named Tammy Brown. Oh, nice, nice. That's a nice homage to uh, mm. your idols. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance and you're in the Green Bay area and you see that Tammy Truck Stop is performing, do yourself a favor. Check it out. It's so fun. I have so much. Also, fun. feel free to look me up on YouTube. I do have my own YouTube channel at Tammy Truck Stop. Oh, nice. So, you know, just given the chatting that we've been doing leading up to recording, I and, and what you've already said, we know you're a lover of horror, but uh, you know, when did you get into horror? What's your relationship to horror? I've honestly loved horror since I was young enough to understand like what intercepting media is in terms of like movies and television. Like I remember being a little, little boy watching on the television Nightmare Before Christmas and that scene with the glowing red eyes and the teeth under the bed. 
just that was so striking and scary, but at the same time alluring to me. And the second I saw that, I was like, okay, what's next? And then I remember being five or six, there was a double feature back in the day on a Friday night on TV. And it was this movie, Mikey, about a little boy who gets adopted by different families and then kills each family. And then that was backed back with another movie called Fear Halloween Night, which is about this like wooden doll creature that comes to life and kills people based on what their fears are. And then I remember a couple of weeks later, I think I saw Child's Play 2. And those three just stick out to me in terms of what I first saw. And ever since then, it's just an unsatiable desire to consume all horror and all media I can. Yeah, that's so interesting. The titles you pointed out, I can't help but wonder if it's like, Part of you saw it as like children being powerful and evil too. <laughs> I've never put that together and I don't, I wouldn't agree with that, but that's a good statement to analyze. I remember when I was little, I really enjoyed female villains. I was like, Ooh, role models. <laughs> I'm the same. I mean, I'm a typical gay. And like, if I play any video game, I always choose a girl. If I've done D and D my characters are a girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? I wouldn't classify Nightmare Before Christmas as a horror movie. That's definitely a children's movie, but just with more scary elements. I would have to say Fear, Halloween Night, or Mikey. Those are the first two movies I remember seeing being like, these are actual horror movies and being scared, but at the same time of being scared, being like, like oh my God, what is this? Like, this is a feeling I want to chase. I love this. Whereas seeing like action movies and big explosions and comedies like those never really did it for me yeah yeah I would say horror always felt kind of like provocative and Mm. like I knew it was something I wasn't supposed to be seeing yeah and being a child of the 90s going through like blockbuster and local video stores and video update and like seeing the VHS covers of horror movies and being scared off just certain covers and then going to see the movie and being like oh I can get that whole feeling for a whole movie and I'm so desensitized to horror now that it's very few and far between that a scary movie can actually scare me or creep me out. But back in the day, like everything and anything that could scare me, I was down for. Oh, yeah, I I have that as well. Like when I was married and living with my husband, he would always come in the living room and be like, oh, my God, what are you watching? Oh, it's just like a disemboweling. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, you definitely get desensitized to a point where you're watching a movie like Hostel and you're enjoying camera angles while a person's getting a drill in the head. (laughs) Yes. Well, for us to talk about tonight, Pete has chosen 2016's The Neon Demon, uh, which is the story of Jesse, small town, sweet, beautiful girl going to Los Angeles, going to make it as a model. And she encounters a group of young women who we perceive are probably witches who decide that they will feast upon Jesse's beauty. And that's eventually her demise. So this movie, wow, necrophilia, cannibalism, pedophilia. Oh my, there's a lot going on. Oh yeah. (laughs) A lot of major taboos. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what made you pick the neon demon? It's my favorite movie. When it boils down to it, I had about six other choices that I really battled with choosing with you. I even mentioned doing a double feature and choosing two because I had such a hard time but it's my favorite movie encompasses everything I love about horror which I think fits really well with your podcast in the sense I like my horror movies to be feminine I like them to be very artsy I like them to be very musically inept not or inept's not the word I like them to be very I like the music to really impact the movie 
I like it to be incredibly artistic, but at the same time, I like a lot of gore and violence and traditional horror elements. So Neon Demon is, it encompasses all that. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it was just so visually beautiful as well. Yes. It, and it's it's such a hard movie to explain to people, like, because there's so many different elements to it and there's so many different comparisons you can make about it. To me, when I try to explain it to people like in the horror community, it's like this weird mix up of like, it's kind of like Suspiria. It's kind of like 2001 A Space Odyssey, kind of a little bit like Mulholland Drive. It's It's got all these weird different elements that match up. It's got a little bit of Tron in it in the sense of like, the neon imagery and the shapes and yeah I could definitely see that you know I also watched Black Swan recently for the podcast and I feel like there was a little bit of that in there as well like the idea of um you know preying on innocence Mm -hmm. Black Swan is another a beautiful beautiful moment and to take a small time to talk about that I have been in so many horror audiences and movie theaters where people freak out but that scene where she pulls her hangnail back to her knuckle in the Black Swan I don't think I've ever heard an audience gasp and scream as much at a screen than at that premiere. Oh, man, that would be fun to be a part of. So, you know, there is this idea of innocence being stolen from Jesse. I feel like that's a really dominant theme in the movie uh, and that destruction of innocence. But what themes jumped out most to you? If I have to think about themes, I do agree with that theme that you stated, but I feel like there's so many different perspectives you could take of the movie. On one glimpse, it is about her innocence being taken away from her. On another sense, the movie's not even about Jesse. The movie is about Jenna Malone's character, the makeup artist, and essentially what she does to keep on living and keep on being young. And especially after the moment where Jesse, you know, obviously there's spoilers here, after they kill her and eat her and harvest her it's more or less from jenna's point of view there's a lot of feminist movements in it and what it's like to be a woman and the horrors of being a woman you know it's a young girl staying in a hotel by herself in a city that she doesn't know and yes she's introduced to these men who may seem protective but we are easily shown that they're not and it's about how the fashion industry and the art industry i want to say the art industry as a whole can take someone's innocence and essentially steal it and spit that person back out while remaining their soul. Mm-hmm. I, you, know, you know, it's interesting. I feel like with Jesse, as soon as she acknowledged her own beauty and how, you know, she's what they all want to be when she comes out of that headlining mm. show, you know, she's just like a new person. She is cold and distant and like, it's like she understands the game. Yes. And- I've heard other people discuss it in my perception is that moment where it's the trippy music and she's in the triangle and she's closing the show and kissing herself in that triangle mirror formation and that's the point the demon takes over and she's the you know the neon demon has become in her and she's been possessed by that beauty and it's almost like she knows what she is and she can harvest it for her own benefit because that very next scene when she goes into the restaurant she's a completely different person than she was the entire first half of the movie yeah, I think the, the most significant moment where you notice the change is when that boy who was helping her in the beginning is out with the restaurant with her and he wants to leave and she just looks at him coldly and says, so go. Yeah, like that, that exact line is such a shift of the character. Yeah, it really is. You know, not not that it's incredibly similar, but I did feel a little bit parallels like in the comedy world, like once mm-hmm. you 
you know, recognize that you are of a certain value and you don't want to do certain rooms and you want a headline or, you know, I'm sure you experience this in drag as well. Like Mm -hmm. you reach certain markers, then it's almost like people are like, oh, they think they're so great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even if they don't have that attitude at all, being in that echelon of performance, art, creativity, people perceive what they want about you, even if they don't know you. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I also like on a more gentler note, I loved the theme of like just falling in love with a city and chasing a dream. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. if you're to watch it uh, and the moment we said about earlier where she's in that triangle formation at the runway, if you watch the movie up until that point, it's almost just a, you know, a beautiful story about a girl finding herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It could have been edited to be a totally <coughs> different movie. so let's talk about ruby and Gigi and sarah thank you for saying ruby because when i said jenna earlier i was referring to jenna malone the actress who played her and i forgot her name was ruby even though i just rewatched the movie a couple hours ago oh no that's okay i am terrible with actors and actresses Mm. names so i just everyone is who they are in the movie to me okay (laughs) so yeah i did think it was curious like re-watching the film how Ruby is just always present in uh, Jesse's life. And at first, you know, the first watch, I thought that was just like coincidental. And then you realize like, oh, this is absolutely strategic. Oh, yeah. She knew what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was going for. You could tell she has probably been doing that for a couple hundred years. You know, obviously, you don't know how old they are, but you can assume by doing what they're doing they're trying to maintain their youth and their beauty so in my opinion in terms of a witch that prolongs your life uh similar plot lines if you've ever seen that 80s movie the hunger with uh catherine deneuve where you only have a certain amount of youth and you have to be able to essentially feed to keep it Mm -hmm. oh yeah like um oh who was she the uh hungarian aristocrat uh elizabeth bathory was yes Yeah, so there's a long tradition of this. You could also make a comparison with Ruby and Elizabeth Bathory in terms of there's that scene after they kill Jesse where she's in the bath of blood watching the two other girls shower off and she's taking a bath in blood, which Elizabeth Bathory believed kept her young. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another one thing I want to make a point about with the character with Ruby, and I didn't even realize until rewatching it today, is there's a scene before things start to get really weird and down where Ruby comes on to Jesse while they're in the bed and she's brushing her hair and Jesse reveals that she's a virgin. And typically in movies like this, when it comes to sacrifice and witches, a virgin is always a better sacrifice than a non-virgin because that purity can yield more youth. I almost felt this terror in Ruby's character and I put myself in her head in the sense of, you know, I've been doing this for so long. This girl's so beautiful. Maybe she can come along for the ride and be, you know, one of my other little model minions and help me along. But I'm going to defile her first for my own sexual gratification. And so then I won't be tempted by her virgin purity. And then when Jesse pushes her away, there's like a split second where it seems like Ruby is going to think of something. And then she just walks out of the room. And I feel like when she walks out of the room, her fate is sealed and her mental thought is, nope, I'm going to come for that bitch. I'm going to eat her. I'm going to steal her youth. I tried to give her a shot and she didn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. 
expressed so thoroughly throughout the film how beauty is Jesse's currency. Well, it's the currency of the world, right? Yes. And like how many of the characters are just situated to take something from her. I feel like Dean, I mean, Dean's not great. He was like 18 dating a 16, trying to date a 16 mm. year old. So that's problematic too. But uh, Keanu Reeves' character was especially unnerving. Yes, and that's, I will say, in terms of all film, it's definitely interesting to see Keanu Reeves in that role, because typically he's the hero or the nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But that when he was going off about the 13-year-old being some real Lolita shit, and uh, room 214, gotta be seen. Like, oh my god, ugh. Yes, that line is, just hearing that line is very icky. It's There's very few movies in this day and age that make me feel icky, but that line about it, it it rubs me a wrong way. The only other movie I've seen that gives me those real ick vibes is we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I'd highly recommend it. It definitely it's it's Tilda Swinton at her best. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it was interesting to see Keanu play the creep just because it never really happens. So that mm -hmm. was I don't want to say fun, but different, you know. <laughs> and he has such a small role in it too, but He's a big enough actor that, I don't know, it, it does something when you see him on screen. Speaking of the hotel, what did the mountain lion in the room mean to you? To me, it meant, uh, personally, you could say it was one of the girls, but I, in my opinion, it was Ruby, because there's a lot of classic witch lore in terms mm -hmm. of transfiguration and witches being able to turn into cats and cats as their familiars. And there's that scene when she's in Ruby's quote unquote home. Because you never find out if that's her house. She alludes that she's house-sitting, but I feel that is her house, but she has to give excuses as why this young, single makeup artist could be able to afford a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. It's easier to just say, oh, I'm just house-sitting, rather than, oh, I've, accum I've lived for 200 years. I've obviously accumulated enough to do this. But there's a very specific scene where it pans out and you see a taxidermied mountain lion. And to me, that's Ruby checking up on her, essentially. Oh, yeah. Because <clears throat> there's another scene later on where Jesse has that dream where she wakes up with Keanu Reeves and the knife in her mouth. Oh, yeah. And then wakes up from that. And then the girl in the next room, unfortunately, you hear some pretty disturbing rape, what we can assume to be rape sounds. And essentially, Jesse is spared. And I feel like, Ruby probably sent that dream to Jesse and at that point woke her up to prevent her from experiencing that so she could later on have it for herself. Yeah, yeah. Because then it's also like that power of psychic suggestion where they draw her to the house. Mm -hmm. So I think that really... Yeah, it's definitely like where you have films more like Suspiria and the Craft where you're dealing with straight like we know these characters are witches we know these characters dwell in that world the neon demon is it doesn't say they're witches it has nothing to do with that it's it's all suggestive yeah oh especially like the diamond imagery like the three triangles mm. to make the uh like the eye of uh what is it called the is it just the eye uh, i want to say the eye of zoran but i know that's i think not that's it oh, okay <laughs> i'm here to back you up the eye of something, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's like a Satanist Illuminati type formation of three triangles that form a triangle. Yeah, so then the four triangles would be all four of them together. <laughs> yeah, Gigi and Sarah, they were quite the henchmen. Yes, definitely. And it's definitely two perspectives of the modeling industry in the sense of 
traditional beauty, but that beauty may not just, you know, that beauty is a nine, not a 10. It's, uh, which is uh, Sarah. She's the one who's a natural beauty. And she is beautiful. She's model-esque, but maybe she might not just be as good as other women and is always constantly searching for that next, I guess, moment. Whereas Gigi capitalized on the fact that maybe she wasn't as good looking as other people, but completely went and surgically altered herself to become that. Mm -hmm. And there is even a moment where um, the fashion designer is in the restaurant and essentially breaks Gigi down of being fake and essentially all of her beauty was created, whereas uh, Jessie is fully natural and just has that naturally within her. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting watching the four of them interact, like in the bathroom. I, I was like instantly taken back to high school to that like, when you're meeting new girls and you're not sure if they're going to hmm. be friends or foe. And uh, it's just usually quite unnerving. Yes. And there's a great cute line when they're asking each other, you know, are you food or are you sex? Oh, yeah. And Ruby chimes in about Jesse and she goes, oh, she's dessert. Mm, yeah. <laughs> foreshadowing. <Essentially> foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing it does show in terms of all the girls is I'm super, as well as being into horror, I'm very into fashion. I have an Alexander McQueen fashion show tattooed as a left leg sleeve. The fashion industry is like that, as creative and beautiful and artistic and everything as that is. It's also very cold and it's very to a standard and it's very it picks people apart and chews them out oh absolutely and i feel like that was really represented in the scene uh where they murder her by pushing her in the pool because mm-hmm. she is built up to be this huge star she's going to be great she's going to be amazing she's headlining the show and then to kill her is just a little tap and mm-hmm. like smack down to the pool and it's over and it just felt so quick and like but keeping with the modeling theme of the whole movie and the feminist i guess feeling of the movie when she's dead in the pool and it pans to her the way her leg is crooked the way her dress is laid the way her hair is done she doesn't look like some girl who is disheveled and thrown into a pool she looks like some girl who was purposely placed in that position to die oh you're right so she did even die beautifully mm. <laughs> beauty is definitely the theme of the movie and as much in regular society as we want to say it doesn't matter and it matters about your character and your principles and who you are on the inside at the end of the day that does matter but if you're a beautiful person there's a lot of successes that that grants you my friend yes (laughs) i feel like beautiful people get a certain kind of pass that Mm -hmm. is just maddening you know I used to, oh man, this is a long time ago, but I worked at this hair salon and there was one woman who cut hair that was just like drop dead, gorgeous, beautiful. And all her clients were like just in awe of her. And I remember one day she was cutting hair and her client was talking about how bad his day was. And like, he had just lost someone and she just kind of was like drifting off into space and cutting the hair and said, that's cool. And he like, didn't even flinch. She was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, it is cool. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) It's, you know, it's another, it's, it's one thing to be beautiful. And this is the sense of in taking the neon demon. It's one thing to be beautiful, but it's another to fully realize and utilize the power that comes with that. Mm -hmm. 
and you could do it for the good you can do it for the bad there's plenty of women in hollywood that are beautiful and have a bad attitude and have achieved a success of a point and then there's other women in the same boat that realize you know you can have all that and still be humble mm-hmm. yeah i gotta admit like on the first watch you know watching roxy sarah and Gigi conspire to tear down jesse it did feel like oh man i've seen that happen like <laughs> you know uh um, taking down the young pretty young thing yeah i as a man obviously don't have that perspective of being a woman and i identify as a man i i don't you know as someone who gets paid to go on stage and heels and fake tits you know I don't have any illusions about what my gender is, but that could easily be take on all women in that sense, that conversation and how women tend to tear each other down more than they do support each other, which I've always found disheartening and sad. Like the point of feminism is to bring everybody up into an equals and not put other down. And women can definitely fit into that category sometimes of being catty and putting each other down. Yeah, I think uh, you know, it's the stereotypical cool girl. Like, I'm not mm. like the other girls. I'm a cool girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you think was going on between Ruby and Jesse and Jesse's or Ruby's um, kind of pursuing Jesse and like wanting her sexually, but also wanting to like steal her youth and beauty? I don't know. It's just such an odd cinematic relationship some of my answers in life as someone who has partaked in psychedelics quote-unquote previously i tend to think of more out-of-the-box answers and i think if we're taking the neon demon from a perspective of just that time lapse i can't necessarily ask that question but as someone who has watched that movie enough to feel like i know ruby's character through 200 years i think at the end of the day, Jesse was just another another feeding victim to her, another another muse to light her own fire. But that moment when she tried to come on to Jesse, I think that was a break in traditional of Ruby's character to possibly open herself up to this girl and get this girl to either be with her or be on her side or essentially open up to her. And when she gets shoved to wet, shoved away, it essentially like reassures herself like, no, this is what I normally do. This is what I always do. Don't get emotionally involved with them. Don't try and come on to them. Just realize they're there for the harvest and move on. Mm-hmm. because a lot of the other time there's a, a almost sinister like the when she comes on to that photo shoot jesse does um where she's painted gold and done in the nude the smile that ruby has towards her to me comes off very unnaturally forced and in that moment i just feel like she's just trying to play the role and in that moment when she tried to come on to jesse i thought that was a bit more vulnerability of her mm-hmm. That's a good but point. at the end at the end of the day, I think when it comes to a character like that, like uh, Catherine Deneuve and The Hunger, they're just living their life. At the end of the day, Jesse doesn't really mean anything to her. She's just another way to keep young and pretty. And I think once you've been killing enough people to retain your beauty long enough, it becomes so standard that you don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess sometimes you just play with your food, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I suppose that can go for a lot of other characters in terms of like vampires and witches that live along and this and that in the horror world is you get to a point 
where that's just who you are and how you are. It's not even that you're trying to commit this evil act. You're just living your own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were there any other themes that jumped out at you? Uh, the way the music is woven so well into the movie is a big, big standpoint to me. Because there's a lot of movies that you can use audio to increase or decrease certain emotions and affect people this way. But like the the way the audio is done in because I'm a big fan of electronic music, the way it's done for the Neon Demon, it just it really sets the emotions and heightens the emotions you're supposed to feel when you're supposed to feel entranced with her and her getting her beauty or that demon dance scene where it's all done in strobe light and it has that very ambiotic kind of music. Like, I think the way music is perceived as such a big theme in that movie, but I feel like because it's there's so many other things going on in the movie, that gets overlooked. And that can bleed more into the actual world of fashion, where these fashion designers meticulously think of music to set to their runway shows to give the exact tone of what that's supposed to bring. And I think that's a good comparison with the movie, is like fashion and music, the movie and music plays the same role. Yeah, I loved in this movie, too, how it was like the neon lights and music created scenery yes in, in just like blackness you know yes and there's a lot of i guess more artistic camera angles more artistic shots and the way things are done is very abstract and it keeps with the theme of the movie a lot of things can be disorienting and yeah i definitely loved how it it almost had a little bit of an anxious feeling to the disorientation and it did kind of capture that feeling i think of you know when you enter a new scene and you don't know anyone and you're trying to make your way and uh you know, meet people, make connections, but you really don't know what's going on or like who's who. Yeah, <laughs> It felt like That's a very another, veiled art scene. That could be another, uh, I guess, overall branch theme of the movie is at the end of the day, like when you move yourself to a completely new environment and you start involving yourself with different people in different parts of the community, like you never really know who you're involving yourself with. And I think in The Neon Demon, it really takes that classic heavy look at Hollywood and essentially showing that people engraved within the standards of beauty and creativity and art within the Hollywood scene, it's not going to change. It's going to be how it is. It's going to be how it was. Like we may be more inclusive now in terms of race and body size and gender and this and that. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a set standard. And as much as you want to change it, there's always going to be 150 people in front of you that work for that industry that are going to maintain that standard. Yeah. And that disposable feeling as well. Like there's also 150 people behind you ready to take that job. If yes. you turn it down. Mm, not a good feeling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting to like watching the film and all the tension that kept building, like you kept waiting for a bad thing to happen to Jesse. And like, I don't know about you, but like watching it, I was expecting it to be Dean, the photographer, the hot. I mean, it was going to be the hotel manager, uh, but you think it's going to be a man. And then mm -hmm. ah, it's, it's three ladies at, at the pool, you know? <laughs> uh, oh uh, yeah. I, and uh, that can go again into, if we want to talk about like, I guess, stereotypes of women, of points women in terms of that, job in that situation that jesse was in there would be no reason to distrust ruby there would be no reason to distrust Gigi or what's the other model's name i'm sarah. sorry sarah there'd be no reason to distrust them because they've 
you know, these are other girls that work in the industry and experience things that I I see and I do. So if there's going to be people I'm going to mistrust, it's going to be the male photographer asking me to get naked. It's going to be, you know, the sleazy hotel owner. And it turns out the women she confided her trust in most were the ones to turn her back on her. Yeah, it did kind of send the message a little bit of like, you got to pay your dues. Uh mm -hmm. <laughs> Also, too, if you want to, I guess, just get comedic about it at the end of the day, like don't fuck with witches. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed rewatching this one. Um, another one thing I just randomly unassociated, I wanted to point out, and it's another thing because I've watched it probably 15 times. But this morning, I really watched it with a fine tooth comb to really like pick certain things out. And one thing I've never really noticed before is the scene at the very end where she stabs herself and needs to get her out of her and throws up that eyeball and she bends down to pick up the eyeball and eat it right before she eats it. You see this big giant line of drool coming down her mouth at the same time, her eyes are teared up and have tears starting. So it's this weird inner battle of like, I'm so unsatiably hungry for that girl's eyeball that I have to drool because I'm like, oh my God, another piece of her, I could get two months younger. But at the same time, she sees the visual death of her friend right in front of her is crying. And it's this very strong image of drooling from the mouth and crying from the eyes where both these two liquids coming from her face are such conflicting ideas of what her inner monologue must be. And at the end of the day, she eats the eyeball, puts her glasses back on and goes back out to work and is a seemingly unfazed by it yeah that scene was absolutely so, wild another question i had for the movie is like obviously to me ruby has been doing this for hundreds of years and probably goes back to you know medieval times maybe and how long she's been doing it to me it was probably Gigi's first time and was brought into that world and couldn't handle it and sarah the other girl maybe three or four times and is just getting into it and i think that moment when she eats the eyeball it's a Ruby thing where she just clicks into the, okay, this is who I am. This is the life I'm going to live. You need to put those emotions to the side. You need to lose all your hangups about it and just realize like, this is just the cycle to get where I am. Yeah. I think, you know, she also felt like a certain sense of pride uh, about it in, in sort of a humorous way when she was talking to the younger model that was going to be on the shoot with Gigi originally. And the, younger model was talking about, oh, all these ridiculous things that this other person did to undercut her. Has anyone ever done that to you? And what did you do? And Sarah's like, I ate her. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's almost this realization of like getting away with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another theme I just thought about in the moment is like the, just the general idea of Hollywood. You have to be a tough motherfucker to run in Hollywood in any type of situation, occupation, any of that that puts you in public spotlight because you're going to be dealing with shady people you're going to be dealing with people who will lie to your face and then equally stab you in the back without even a second thought and that could be another overall theme of the movie is straight up like people are shit and if you trust them they're going to turn their back on you to further their own career without even a wink oh yeah definitely and even little things like not quite as maniacal like you know, if you're creating art and putting it out there, the comment section, people just say the most hurtful shit. And it's like, mm. this, this person is a human, you know, <laughs> like, 
Uh, people, they're great. I I've done stand up a few times and I did very well with it. It's just it's not my gig. I'm really good at a roast and I'm really good at being like Don Rickles, Joan Rivers, like insulty. Because to me, like coming up with quick insults for people is it, it's just it's funny to me. In the drag world, it's called reading. And it's essentially just like who can get the best one up on each other. But like I could never go what you go through, like coming up with a whole set and monologue and going on stage and presenting that to the world. And that's got to be like, it's tough. It's funny too. Like some rooms I'll feel attention just because I'm a woman and I'm like, Mm -hmm. God damn it. I know what this is. (laughs) Because you always have that stigma. And I've told you this before we had this interview of like, there's the stigma of women aren't funny. And I'm in the opposite where I don't think very men are, I don't think very, there's very few men who have ever made me laugh. And if I'm going to see stand up comedy or watch comedy on a special, it's going to be a Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like there's comedy is just like music and that there are artists for everyone. So yeah, it can be, you know, like I don't like mainstream music, so I'm not going to like mainstream comedy either. Or, you know, (laughs) yeah. So what were your favorite parts? What the whole movie one, um, two <laughs> the necrophilia scene where Jenna Malone is literally like spitting in this corpse's mouth and rubbing her breast while she's making out with her and getting herself off, like, is so disturbing and beautiful at the same time from a horror perspective because it's something so taboo and disgusting and wrong. But the way she's passionately, aggressively going at it, it's very. It's very uncomfortable. It's very weird. It's very gross, but it's also slightly beautiful to watch herself like be free like that. Because typically when it comes to horror, you don't see like that's one of the taboos, even in horror that not a lot of horror movies go to because it's so taboo. You obviously have like the famous scene in Reanimator with the head giving head, but like this takes that whole idea to such a different level and it's so uncomfortable and it's so striking to me. Um, the runway scene where she's kissing, it's essentially, to, in my opinion, it's the neon demon that's manifested itself as her in those mirrors taking control of her. And she's the red light and the both mirror angles and she's kissing herself that the music is going, the neon lights are going. It's just so breathtaking and visual. And I'll, also another thing, and it's weird that strikes to me being gay, is when the two models are in the shower showering each other off head to toe in blood if there wasn't blood it that would be such an erotic scene between two beautiful naked women in the shower but when you introduce all the blood knowing what they did it's so uncomfortable and creepy and weird and all those types of words but at the same time beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah it was funny during the the scene with uh roxy and the corpse i actually had a house guest who she had had she was on a show with me saturday night had some car trouble so she was staying over and i was like well i gotta watch this for the podcast and we don't really know each other and then i just flipped on this movie (laughs) it's like welcome to my home yeah it's definitely one of those movies (laughs) i don't tell a lot of people to watch just because there's a few scenes in the movie that are so visually graphic and violent and aggressive that it's it's hard it's a hard movie for non-horror movie fans to watch which is weird because i'm not familiar with any other movie nicholas winding refn the director did i know he did drive and valhalla and a lot of those like macho ryan gosling movies yeah it's a weird twist he doesn't do horror and he doesn't do like feminine movies like that so 
to have that come out of him was very interesting because I wouldn't say I'm familiar with or have seen any of his other works. Nor have I. No. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my favorite part. You know, I honestly really enjoyed her headlining the show and just coming into her own power and like kissing the, herself. Um, I thought that was just visually stunning and also just the idea of this young woman embracing that she is powerful is really badass yes um as someone who identifies as one of those more like pagan based satan based psychic based witch based whatever you want to categorize it as type religious beliefs i did also find the image of her nude on that wooden floor while she's releasing blood from herself and the moon is pitched perfectly in the window is such a striking shot in terms of like a witch-like tradition that you have to do based on the cycles of the moon and the cycles of the woman. And she's letting all that blood flow out of her vagina, which to me would be her old blood. And all of Jesse's blood is essentially refilling her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had weeks like that. No, I'm scared. <laughs> Diva cups. Hell of a week. Uh, uh, so, what are your what are your final thoughts on the Neon Demon? I couldn't recommend it any more to horror fans. If you're a fan of something grotesque, obscure, artistic, feminine, weird, untraditional, but also beautiful and striking, and a just a good movie overall, I highly recommend it. I like all horror. Like, I don't care if it's werewolves, vampires, slashers, ghosts cheap expensive campy funny i love it all but i really love a good slow burn of a movie i love a movie that's not just like blood and guts all the time i love a good story that builds up and anticipates and i think this is a really good example of one because it's not it's kind of like rosemary's baby or saint maude that really twists everything that you've seen and typically with slow burn movies i like it because you can go and rewatch it and pick out all these other things whereas that's another thing i really appreciate about neon demon is i was finding stuff in it watching it now for probably the 16th 20th whatever time today and there were things i was noticing that i didn't notice before mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of subtlety i really love this movie for the fact that the plot isn't spoon-fed to you or mm. you're beaten over the head with it it is that slow burn and that tension rising feeling like something bad's gonna happen. You know? <laughs> I like that comment that you use spoon fed because I have a friend that says my taste in comedy and horror is very pretentious. Um, oh, not true. And I told, and I, I essentially told him I was like, well, you only think it's pretentious because you don't understand it. But I guess I would say I do enjoy a quote-unquote pretentious movie like Christopher Guest comedies like Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman. I like movies that do not have to explain a lot or spoon feed you a lot and you are just supposed to be at a certain level of intelligence to understand what's going on. Essentially, take what you want from it. Oh God, I love those movies so much. Same. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I first saw Best in Show, it absolutely blew my mind. I was like, this is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. It's hard to explain my taste in comedy because my taste in comedy is so dry and so highbrow. The only way I can explain it is like, I like Wes Anderson movies and I like Christopher Guest movies. Like that scene where Parker Posey and I forget the actor's name are in the therapist's office explaining how they met at a starbucks in new york it's just <laughs> and he was at the starbucks across the street 
it's comedy gold but if you were just i guess if you're into like her her poo poo jokes like that you would watch that movie and not laugh once but mm-hmm. if you are someone who is of a, a bit more higher intelligence to laugh at those stereotypes of people it's one of the funniest movies and i like that a lot like i mean i do love some good stupid dumb horror like basket case or uh you know yada yada but to me the neon demon is a very thoughtful film it's a very smart horror film Mm -hmm. well i'm so happy you could be on to chat about it it was great to rewatch it yeah i was so happy to do this you have no idea like it's like been on being on a cloud this whole time (laughs) i'm glad i could provide that for you (laughs) yeah this has been awesome i truly truly am grateful for this yay is there Mm -hmm. anything that you want to promote or anything that you're excited about that you're working on um not in the works right now i'm sure in two weeks someone will ask me to do a drag show and then i'll be like okay this but if you follow me on instagram or facebook or youtube it's tammy truck stop the same on all of them just look me up if I'm in a show I post about it. Oh, fantastic. And again, I can't recommend a Tammy Truck Stop show enough. It was super fun. I feel like we should do some kind of Halloween show together. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, I would totally be down, especially we could, you know, if you want to do stand up or something more comedic based, we could work it as like a two show or a podcast or whatever you want to fit into that. I'm down to collaborate. Yes. Okay, Green Bay, be on the lookout for that in October. We're going to do something amazing. It's going to be really fun. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you again. I Like I said, I, I can't express enough my gratitude. Like I was so happy that you asked me to do this. Awesome. I'm glad. That's been Pete Anderson, Tammy Truckstop. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a great night. Mm-hmm.